was like, well, I won't work with somebody who's so fucking closed-minded and ignorant, so I'm actually gonna drop you right fucking now. And he was like, well, that's the worst movie I've ever made. Welcome and thank you for listening to Almost Almost Famous, the podcast where actors, writers, comedians talk about the ups and downs, ebbs and flows of working towards making this crazy biz and how they're almost almost famous. I'm your host, Daniel Acker. Today's guest has started an American Horror Story, This Is Us, Scandal, Dear White People, and Law and Order SVU. It's the fantastic Joe Conti. Almost almost Joe Conti. <laughs> yes. Well, you're officially Joe Conti. You're not almost hey. almost him. <laughs> <laughs> what's up buddy not much it's good to see you uh too. I, I like to dive in because you know we we meet all these different amazing talented people in this business and then we, i realized like i don't really know people's trajectory or their where they started were you uh as a child like you knew you were going to be an actor and a performer or was it like truly just kind of later in life discovery no, no, I was a child actor, of course. And that's why I'm so <laughs> fucked up. <laughs> uh, no, no, no. Yes, uh, I actually started off as um, a dancer. My um, my sister was a ballet dancer when she was like three, four, five, six. You know, my mom threw in class. And I remember being in like second grade, first grade. And it was like, bring your mom to class day so she can watch. And I was home from school. So she was like, come with me. You're going to your sister's ballet class. I fought, no, 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 no. And um, my sister was taking ballet and then the next class was like a hip hop class. And of course, 90s hip hop was not anything what hip hop actually is. Um, but, uh, you know, during um, two unlimited LaBouche songs, I was like, yeah, I can fuck this up. Um, so I remember seeing the ballet class and being like, okay. And then the hip hop class started and I was like, okay. I was like, maybe this is what I wanna do. I started doing uh, professional dance at nine. Uh, that led into singing, that led into acting and commercial work when I was a kid screaming Cheerios into people's faces at like 10 years old. Um, so this has been a long haul for me, for sure. Oh, very nice. Uh, was it something like, did it surprise your family at all? Or were they like, no, this person is gonna perform? I wouldn't say it surprised my family as far as, yeah, he's gonna be a performer because I, I'm, I grew up in the age where like, um, you know, VCR cameras started oh. coming into play. So if that camera came out, I was the first person in front of it. If you watch all the old tapes, it's just my parents <laughs> saying, okay, Joe, move out of the way. So, so Joey, move out of the way. Joey, move out of the way. It's <laughs> like, I was right there dancing, singing, doing something in front of the camera. So I think they kind of knew, but I, I think they were quite surprised that I chose the, the route of a dancer. Cause I mean, I was doing tap, jazz, ballet, modern, hip hop, lyrical. And I really dove full in. I was a competitive dancer from about 10 until 16. So I think that was uh, probably the most jarring for my dad. Um, you know, just because at the same time as that was happening, he was like, I signed you up for football and baseball and soccer. And I was like, no, I'm not going to that. So I'm going to tap class. Yeah. So I was think he like, was, was like, I have heard some football players take ballet and it's really works with their agility. And you're like, but ballet also works on ballet. If only that was uh, around in 1993, but those football players, I don't think were doing too much ballet back then. So no. um, yeah, I would say it was probably the most jarring for him, but you know, cut to him you know, uh, front row screaming as I was winning trophies and taking photos. And I was like, oh, you got into it after the long haul. So that's good. Sure, of course. Um, and where were you growing up? Where was this? I grew up in Vernon, New Jersey. So that's um, about an hour and a half north of New York City, northwestern New Jersey, very rural cow country, 
you know, tomato farms, like really grew up in, uh, I, I call ourselves the rednecks of the North is the best way to describe that. <laughs> Great. But you still had, it sounds like access to New York and Broadway and other things. So like you definitely had, I'm sure the East Coast influence of getting to see performances to that scale. Do you remember going and like traveling to New York City and that experience and taking all that in? A hundred percent. I remember my first Broadway show was Beauty and the Beast. It was in 1995. I was in the middle of doing um, the kids version of Beauty and the Beast from my dance school. So uh, I was playing Chip uh, in that production and I was like, oh cool, they're doing the same thing in New York City. And that was my first trip going to Broadway and really seeing like, oh, this is an hour away? What the so um that was like my first big eye opener like oh this this is really cool and this is something that i want to keep pursuing now because it sounds like you really had a really strong kind of dance trajectory doing competitions and performing stuff you still go like dance is a kind of a major focus or did it shift to more singing more acting like where's your head at now with kind of your performance space yeah uh, I will say like I started dance that was mostly through like high school high schools where I started to sing in the choirs where I started to do the school plays and I really was like oh I think I want to transition more into this like musical theater kind of acting uh, you know route and I kind of gave up the dance for a long time of course it was always there because once I graduated college you move to New York every audition to dance call so you're thrown right into the mix of you know dancing for Broadway ensembles and then um, I was doing cruise ships for a really long time as well so the dance stayed involved there and um, I took a really long break from dance when I moved to LA I think that was one of the first things I gave up um, and then oddly enough this past birthday it was my 37th birthday and I found a video of myself in a dance class when I was seven years old dancing to you know a song I still love now called um, 100% Pure Love by Crystal Waters mm. and um, when I found the video I was like oh this is what I want to do for my 37th birthday so as a 30 year anniversary I got a professional choreographer I showed him the videos he incorporated that into some choreography and we did a whole dance class for my 37th birthday did the whole song and it was like such a cool like go back to your roots moment and we had so much fun and only two people vomited by the end of the class so that was a great success <laughs> all right well done as long as it wasn't you then, then you're yeah, yeah. Clear. i was pretty um, damn close i was pretty damn close i will yeah. say i that's so fantastic i mean yeah all the people i talked to who definitely started in like dance it's just it's one of those things where I've, i wish more kids did it early because it's such a good introduction on your own body and your own instrument and how to move and like did you find that through that kind of that intense training you had a almost a way a leg up when you're doing scene work and stage movement and kind of just knowing the vocab of just blocking yeah blocking for sure was the biggest thing picking up choreography um really helped with like um, memorization of lines just being able to like adapt, take direction quickly and readjust for sure. Um, but I mean, it was a great way to stay physically active. I was a fat kid. I mean, I'm still a fat kid, but I mean, when I was growing up, I was a bigger kid and you know, it was always like, oh, you can't do this because you're a big kid. And then when I was doing full splits and dancing my ass off, 
you know, it was really impressive to people. And it kept me physical throughout all of high school. You know, like people may say, oh, sports are harder, but I was working my ass off dancing all the time. Your endurance levels have to be through the roof. And also because I was bigger in size than of course all the other dancers, I was the one who was constantly lifting all of them for fun stunts and fun right. dance moves. So, you know, it really helped um, me not, uh, it really kept me in shape basically yeah. throughout all of high school. And it sounds also like it, it gives you a, maybe a bit of a chip on your shoulder and tells you what, like what is possible, what you can do instead of listening to people being like, well, I don't think you can do that. Proving them wrong, I'm sure carries you far in life, whether conscious or unconscious to go like, Oh no, like I was able to do all that stuff. Dance. Like there's no reason I can't do these next things or these next challenges. I would say like that is very on point for my entire career. Um, I feel like I've constantly been told, you're not gonna be able to do that. You're not gonna be able to do that. You're not gonna be able to do that. And every time I've had to not only do it, but do it fantastically to prove like, yes, I, you know, just because somebody says no, doesn't mean it's a, it's a closed door, you know? Right. Where do you think that comes from for you? Is that like instilled, you feel like your family's like that? Is that just through dance that you develop that like ability to push through? Like through a lot of therapy. I have uh, come to the conclusion that it's my queerness, my, my gay self is, it's always had to be um, uh, back against the wall, proving myself constantly. Mm. And I think my resiliency and my drive and, and all of that comes from, um, you know, being suppressed and not being able to be myself for so many years growing up in the quote unquote redneck of the north you know right. it wasn't always as accepted so I not only had to face that uh constantly and I needed to make sure that I wasn't just seen as the gay kid I needed to be seen as all of the above you know it was of course I not only had to be a bigger kid a gay kid but I also had to have all of my passions in dancing singing and acting so I just threw it all in a big pot for everybody to torture the daylights out of me and I just had to keep fighting every single day and you know if I was a gay football player maybe my high school life would have been much easier but you know who knows yeah but you just you're like let's let's put them all together let's have it all happen at once mm -hmm. <laughs> let's just have this all going take it all at the same time you know yeah do you feel like you've had moments in your in your career where you feel like I would say you quote unquote made it or hit milestones or what's your thought with that yeah I mean that's all up into interpretation as far as made it is concerned because you know for me it's like I got out of that town I got an education I moved to New York City I found great success there I moved to Los Angeles, I found great success there. So to me, all of those things are making it. I'm still at 37 pursuing this job and not moving on to something else. And you know that, that to me is a big part of making it. But yeah, I would say there are some major milestones. Um, the, the biggest one to come to mind with me is that um, when I was, uh, God, let's see, 22, um, I got cast in my very first film, which was uh, a movie called Bear City, which was a, um, a gay rom-com about uh, a younger twink falling in love with an older bear or a daddy character. And um, uh, upon the success of the first one, we traveled six continents. We made two more movies after that. Uh, it was a huge cult classic in kind of gay cinema. 
And right around the time the second film um, was starting production, right before we went into it, I got a job uh, in a Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons tribute show out of Australia called Oh What a Night. And I was currently in Australia touring the country with a show got a call that the movie was immediately shooting. And I said, I'm in Australia until, you know, this time. And they were like, well, you're contracted as the lead of this movie, so you have to be there. So I had to have a manager kind of work out between the Australian company and the movie to give me a two week break to fly from Australia, arrive in New York City, uh, shoot the first two or three days of the film, then drive up to Provincetown, Massachusetts, shoot the remaining week and a half of the film. Then in the midst of all of that, they asked me to record a song, uh, a pop song for the soundtrack of the film. So I came from Provincetown down to New York, recorded my single, got back on a plane, flew to Australia and finished out the tour. And on my flight back to Australia, I was like, who the fuck am I? Who the fuck is this person? Just gallivanting the globe, doing a show, recording a single, doing the movie. And that was really one of the first moments that I was like, oh, I'm doing everything that I had ever dreamed of in my life. So uh, cut to me softly weeping into my ginger ale on my flight back to Australia, just being like humbled and grateful beyond belief for that moment. That is incredible. And honestly, it was the kind of tie it in a bow and set it a sail because right after I finished that contract, I dropped all of it, moved to Los Angeles and started pursuing television full time. So I think there was a real moment of like, okay, that's been accomplished. Now what's the next thing? Right. Keep moving forward. Uh, Over the years, have you created for yourself a personal definition of success? Um, Yeah, I think I touched on that before. Like my personal definition of success is the fact that I'm still at my age now uh, constantly pursuing and working in the field that I have chosen. And not a lot of people kind of get to say that. A lot of people hit a lot of barriers and, you know, they just don't have the constant, you know, you just have to swallow shit constantly. And it's it sucks, but for those who stick it out, you know, that's success. You're successfully still pursuing one of the hardest careers in all of the world. Yeah, it does just take time and you know, and I know where it's like, it just is that weird momentum point where you're just like, oh, I feel like I'm just surrounding myself with people that I like. And it turns out they're talented and good. And you just start to see like the rising tide raising all these ships and everyone just slowly like booking different things, getting different things. And you go like, oh, we all stuck it out. <laughs> I mean, I think you and I know that, you know, by firsthand experience being part of the CBS Diversity Showcase, like between the two years that I took place, which was 2018 as an actor and 2019 as a staff writer with you, we have seen 15, 20 people from both of those years onto unbelievable feats. Series regulars on televisions, leads of films, you know, um, uh, award nominated. Like these are huge people really breaking the mold. And it's been um, one of the most rewarding experiences that I've ever had uh, since moving to Los Angeles is that experience just as a whole. And then the unbelievable relationships that I've taken away, taken away um, since finishing with those projects. Yeah. It truly is. I think that the best thing is not only when like people get success in a hard business, but when you are like, oh, these are good people. Like that's my favorite thing to tell people. And they're like, oh, I know that person on the show. Not only that, they're incredibly nice or like they're incredible. Like you just want the success for these people. And I, I yeah. think 
we're in a similar mindset where I just want to surround myself with people that I, I want them to be successful because of who they are as a person. Yeah, right. most of them. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, Peter Kim deserves no success whatsoever. Sure, we know this. Person. We know this. So, you know, not everybody is great uh, and deserves uh, yes. it. He's, just, he's slipped, just the first person that popped in my head. Something you know? slipped through the cracks. We know, you know, it's not a perfect <laughs> business as much as we would like it to be. Um, just kidding. We love you, Peter. Oh, Peter's lovely. <laughs> How is your head about the idea of becoming rich and famous? Like, where do you sit with that? Hmm. Uh, I've always been um, very weary of the phrases famous, rich, give me all the money, <laughs> give me every dollar you have, I will do anything for a buck, trust and believe. But famous terrifies me because famous 30, 40, even 20 years ago is completely different than famous right now. Famous right now is everybody is in your business uh, your your whole life is put on display and we're in such um such a crazy time that i i would fear being on a pedestal like that um i tend to lean towards the phrase notoriety more than famous um i want to do work that um i'm remembered for I want to do work that opens doors to more work. I want to be, you know, known through my peers and known through the community, a household name, if the project is fantastic, but it still gets into that border of like, fame scares the hell out of me. And it's a wild, wild world out there already. So um, I'll definitely say rich. I'll take rich <laughs> any day. Yeah. Well, I like the notoriety, like you said, it's about, that implies it's based on your work and your, your body work and, and fame, you got no control over what you're famous for. I was just thinking along the lines of like, the, there was such a famous phrase for so long of 15 minutes of fame. And now it's so ridiculous to say that phrase because 15 minutes is entirely too long. You know, we're more in the realm of 15 seconds of fame, you know, and it could last for maybe two, three days, depending on how quickly that video blasts out or how quickly the next big fucking show pops up and stomps you to the ground. and. You know, it's uh, uh, it's it's very it's funny to think of the phrase 15 minutes of fame now because it's just such an archaic mindset at the moment. Yeah, we're going to eventually get to like 1.5 seconds of fame. It's just going to mm -hmm. keep getting divided by 10. Do you feel like in your career you've ever gotten or received some some bad advice? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Going back to um, what I was talking about earlier with this film, Bear City, the, oh, this franchise, I guess I could say, because we had three amazing films directed by a guy named Doug Langway who actually wrote and directed the film and it was based on his real life. So it was just such a cool thing to step into. And I remember it was uh, 2008, yeah. And I had just graduated college. Um, I had just come off um, a, a big booking with my brand new agency with Law & Order SVU. And he was like, hey, I just got an audition for this uh, indie film but I think I'm going to turn it down. And I was like, oh, can I see it before? And he was like, no, no, it's not worth it. It's a, it's a gay film. And I said, well, what do you mean by a gay film? And he said, oh, well, you got to play gay in the film. And the moment you play gay, you'll never work again. And I said, okay, well, I'd still like to see the breakdown of the script, if, if you don't mind. And he was like, well, I think it's a waste of your time, but all right. And he sent me over the script. I read it that night and loved it. Actually, had not ever seen something like this on screen and 
um, even just amazingly telling a, a sto my story in a way, you know, just relating to a young queer man moving to New York City and trying to find his tribe. And I loved the script and I called my agent and I said, nah, I wanna do this. I love the script. I think this is a great opportunity. And he was like, well, he's like, if you take the job, I gotta drop you because I won't rep a gay actor. And I was like, well, I won't work with somebody who's so fucking closed-minded and ignorant. So I'm actually gonna drop you right fucking now. And he was like, well, that's the worst movie I've ever made. And I had made three movies, traveled six continents, <laughs> Still to this day, I'm recognized from the film, one of my favorite projects of all time, some of my closest, I mean, that's why I met Steven Garino. So, uh, you know, we've been friends for almost 20 years now because I'm in mean, 15 years now because of that film. And um, it was one of the greatest moves I ever made in my professional career. And I can only hope that man is uh, no longer working in the film and television industry anymore. Absolutely. Good riddance. I mean, it's so crazy to think that a manager would be like, don't go out for this. <laughs> like. And just the timing of it was so bad. Like, we're not talking 1999 Lil and Grace. We're talking 2008. This is less say. than 15 years ago. And this guy is making these things. And I was like, you are so backwards. And I may be new here. And I know I just graduated college. But I already can tell this is the wrong fucking move. And you're the wrong person to be attached to. And let me get out of here as fast as possible. Yeah, because truly, like, as you're describing a situation that I, I feel like would have been like, it was 1996, it wasn't mm -hmm. the best of times, we're learning, and the story would have been like, oh, I, and I listened to him because I, I thought he had the best, and it's 2008, that's insane, that is. We're like literally on the brink of the Obama era, and you're yeah. still spatting this bullshit, like, get lost, buddy. Picture this, uh, 10 years in the future. Uh, so Joe, 10 years from now, comes back to today. What advice do you think you'd have for yourself? 10 years from right now? Yeah. Oh, shit. Oh, God, I can't even think a day ahead at this point in time. <laughs> the world's so fucking on fire. Uh, 10 years from right now, advice that I would give myself currently, be fucking patient. This is a unprecedented time for everything in the world not just our little community of the entertainment industry. And um, I mean, the last two years have been some of the hardest times for me to continue to push, to fight, to be in this field because it felt so null and void. It felt so nonchalant. It felt like it was like easy to throw away and, you know, stuff in the corner. Mm. And um, I would say, we're in a long haul of slowly becoming a normal society again and slowly becoming, um, you know, the, the, what the entertainment industry will be, hopefully, um, you know, we're very much working towards what it should be. So my biggest advice is just be patient and enjoy the ride. You know, you've been in it for this long. Quitting seems so, so stupid. So keep patient and keep, kind to yourself how have you handled kind of the lulls and the natural kind of highs and lows of this business do you have anything you do in those moments of, of being patient and waiting create create you have to be creating at all times or you're gonna go nuts because if you sit around and wait for somebody else to create something cast something shoot something produce something you're gonna be sitting around in hell constantly and it's gonna be turmoil and it's gonna tear you up and it's gonna fuck with your self-conscious it's gonna fuck with your confidence it's gonna fuck with it all so um creating helps 
uh, ease my anxiety and my stress, gets great stuff on the page, um, and then artistically fulfills me, which is important because we could go so long without any of that artistic fulfillment and that just turns into more stress and anxiety and more depression. So I think more than anything, it is just putting your shit out there in any way. I'm not saying go make a TikTok because that gives me more stress and anxiety <laughs> to even think about creating that. So create what makes you happy and create what drives you and create what fulfills you. And for me, um, during the pandemic, it was uh, live shows. I had missed theater. I missed performing. I missed an audience. I missed connecting with humans. And I knew the moment we were allowed to kind of get back to in-person events that live shows were going to be the key for me. And that's really what I focused on throughout all of 2021. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's so great because we are in a business where it feels like a lot of gatekeepers, a lot of people decide when you can do stuff. And I always try to tell people, you got to figure out how to kind of make things for yourself. I've noticed when your credits, there's a lot of more, I guess, dramatic TV shows, but you're <laughs> such a funny person. Like, would you feel like you sit it's like nicely in a dramatic pocket or are you, are you like, oh, I wish I was doing something more comedic. Like how do you feel between those two? It is one of the most um, jarring shifts in my career that I've ever experienced. Um, when I was doing theater, even when I was dancing, I was the comedy guy. I would make a room laugh. I can do it, uh, you know, naturally from from birth. And um, you know, within my theater career, I was always playing the comedic roles. And with, um, you know, doing all my uh, even the cruise ships, I was always the comedic relief in all the shows. And it wasn't until I got in front of the camera that I quickly saw that I do not get cast in comedies. I only work in drama. I mean. Um, Bear City was a rom-com. So there was some drama and there was some comedy. I was mostly the drama in there as I was the straight man of, of the film. So um, I got to use some of my comedic chops within there. But the moment I moved to LA, I was cast as straight, white, and in dramas. And which is the complete opposite of who I am as a human altogether, except for being white. But um, yeah, it's been so weird. Then it's always the conversation that I have when I when I move into new reps and they say, you know, it looks like you have comedy, a lot of comedy in your background. But then when I look at all of your television credits, you work only in drama. And I said, it's just been the luck of the draw. I guess it comes down to the auditions of it all, but it um, it definitely helps as far as um, uh, broadening my horizons. You know, now I'm not just boxed into one zone of like I only do comedy and I only do drama. Now I can play within both, and that kind of helps me uh, with marketing myself, but also with opportunities when they come knocking. You know, right? I mean, that is true because so often people love to just kind of pigeonhole you into into something and be like, "Oh, this is a comedy guy. Let's never send him out for some dramas." But you have you know, yeah, I've done a lot of comedy background. I've done this dramatic stuff. So put me out for anything and everything. Like, let me, yeah. let me just keep working. Especially since moving out to, to Hollywood, I've realized how much versatility is the key and even more so now today than ever. Like uh, the fact that I started as a dancer, then moved into theater, then moved into film, then moved into television, then moved into writing, then moved into producing, then moved into directing. You just have to keep fucking grabbing at it all because it's just going to open more doors for you and it's going to give you more opportunities in a city where there's something being produced created danced 
acted, sang every fucking day of your life. So the more um, skill sets that you can inhabit and the more of a sponge you could be at all times, the more versatility you offer to a huge city like this. Yeah. And I think you're a great example of somebody who it's, it's nothing's wasted, nothing's lost. It's all, all the skills you've picked up become cumulative and not a looking at it like, oh, I used to dance more and I guess I'm not a dancer anymore. It's like, no, that's still in there and you can bring that to different roles, different things. And even in when you're producing or directing, you have this history and these skill sets that all add up. And I think some people always look at it as like phases of their life that end and book end. And I think you're really uh, a good example of someone who's just like, it's all one thing. It's all one life. So, you know, it all connects. Thank you. I appreciate that. And it has not always been that. So that is a great credit to one, my therapist and <laughs> two, my um, uh, maturity, me growing up. I mean, I've been in this game now. I mean, if we really want to break it down from nine till 37, I'm looking at 28 years of pursuing this job. And um, the highs have been super high and the lows have been really fucking low. And um, there are many times when I move on to another uh, skill set, whereas I gave up the cruise ships where I was singing and dancing every night and moved to LA to just focus on my acting. I said, well, I no longer dance anymore. I'm not really a singer anymore. And then you'd go into this and I'm not really an actor anymore. And there, it's really easy to say that. And it takes a lot of, um, I think the biggest, uh, the greatest exercise that I picked up along the way was just putting it down on the page. There's certain days where you just need to write down what you have done your whole life and visually see it. And when you see it, it really helps you uh, understand, oh, these are skill sets that I've picked up along the way, not skill sets that I've given up along the way. Right. Yeah. Because we can really get tunnel vision and, and microscopic. And so if you're like, Oh, I guess I'm just doing X for the last three months. We can make that our whole life and be like, well, I haven't danced in three months. I guess I'm no longer dancing. And you just go, no, it's all there. You can pick it back up. Like, yeah, I think it is smart to, to write it down for yourself and give it that look. Well, now's the part in the show, Joe, where the um, roast comic comes out, the famed roast insult comic, Raz Clifford. So you can add to your big list of things is you're now going to be a person who's been roasted. So I told you that I wouldn't do this podcast if I saw him because he has, he has not called me since we had sex and I don't. All right, fine. Bring him out. Don't take it personally. He doesn't, he doesn't like calling anybody. Bring out Raz Clifford. Oh my God. Oh, Daniel. I, I did want to. Okay. Look Raz, who it is. Good to see you. Good Look to who see it you. is. Joe Cunty. Okay. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Okay. For folks, you know, listening to paint a picture of Joe, he looks like a Ken doll who made a wish to be a real boy on a cursed monkey paw. That's what we're looking at. <laughs> wow, Raz. And I'm not laughing at you. Okay. I'm I know. I know. I understand. I, I never laugh at you either or with <laughs> you. Joe is one of the bravest performers I've seen, really, to attempt to do this job with no actual talent, folks. That takes guts. It is something else. But seriously, truly, what a performer. Joe can sing. He can dance. He can act. I would call him a triple threat, but he's just not that good at them. So let's just call him a triple nuisance. That's where we're at. Yeah, while we're on that subject, Joe, when did you realize you were annoying? Because I figured it out right away. 
because I found out pretty quickly. Now is that what you were saying the other night, Rad? Oh come on, knock it off. That's just pillow talk. Okay, and that's just me trying to trying to smother you with a pillow. Now, is this true? I'm looking at some notes that you quoted. You'd say you'd kill your best friend for a few lines on a network sitcom? I already have. Oh, Jesus. Okay, I knew it. Call the cops. I knew this guy was trouble. That's pretty intense. All right, and I had to give you that intense razz. Look, Joe, if you see me around, don't say anything. Just stay quiet. You know how I like it. I prefer someone to just stay, <laughs> stay silent. See, we're supposed to be in love. No. Just tell the audience. Tell them. Tell them. Okay, folks. I'm in love with how much I hate this person. That's what it is. That's what it is. I gotta go. I'm gonna throw up. All right. Bye. Bye, Raz. I'll, I'll, I'll call you later, Raz. Love you, babe. He's not calling you. <laughs> he ain't calling you back. He's God, I love him so much. Nobody treats me like shit like Raz. Let me tell you what. That's his specialty. <laughs> He That's knows my kink, baby. <laughs> yeah, he, he read you pretty quick. He was like, yeah, all right, exactly. <laughs> treat this guy like dirt. He'll stick to you like mud. So obviously this is what you've been pursuing, what you're meant to be doing. But if you weren't acting and doing entertainment and directing and all that stuff, what other field or area do you feel like you'd be, you'd be drawn to or would have an interest in? Uh, is this what I actually do or what I would choose to do? <laughs> I guess give me both. Give me both. Sure. Um, what I actually do, aside from acting and producing and directing, is I'm actually an event producer. So I do large corporate events for huge corporations, big parties. You know, it's always been kind of in my roots as an actor. You're working in hospitality. And again, like how I got to this part was waiting tables for fucking years and working in hotels for fucking years and picking up every drop of hospitality along the way which has led me to kind of working in event production now. But if I really was to throw it all away, I would be a professional chef. I mm. spend most of my time in the kitchen when I am not in front of an audience. Um, I just finished binging the daylights out of the new FX show, The Bear, and it only fueled me to want to get back in the kitchen some more. I am super OCD. I am meticulous. I have planning for everything and I'm uh, very timely. So there would be no other job that would be more perfect for me than a very high stakes kitchen popping out dishes left and right. So I would say a professional chef would be my next move. And now the other question is you enjoy cooking. Do you feel like you're a good cook? Because some people I are just like, I love great to cook. Okay. What's a, a what's do you have a signature dish or what's the style of cuisine you gravitate towards? Uh, well, Raz's personal favorite that I make for him every weekend is chicken parmesan. Oh uh, yeah, that's he just, loves it. He loves that so much. Uh, but probably my signature dish is pasta. I'm an Italian boy. Mama and grandma taught me every intricate step how to make grandma's pasta sauce. So any sort of pasta dish, I got to. And uh, would you say strictly cooking or do you also enjoy baking? Because I know people cooking, baking. You know, surprisingly enough, my personality would be a baker. Because, I would think so. Yeah, yeah. Um, maybe I just, you know, my the the closest thing to baking that I get into is the Great British Bake Off every year. But uh, you know, maybe it's time for me to broaden my horizons and try baking every so often. So um, I'm more of a savory boy as far as my appetite is concerned, which is why I don't go for the baking all too often. But um, my my personality should be a baker for sure. So. Yeah. You're I right, feel... I'll go into baking, Daniel, fine. Yeah, okay? good, <laughs> fine. That was the whole point of this. 
a lot of people were calling me like, you need to talk Joe into bakings more. I thought this was a show about how I'm almost famous, not almost about to quit my life to become <laughs> a baker. <laughs> yeah, almost, almost famous. And the second part is of be to become a famous baker is really Perfect. what the whole thing is. Um, yeah, I've always found like there's like, it always seems to be a weird split of like, there's people who bake and they hate to cook or people who cook and hate to bake. And I was like, oh, it's because cooking for a lot of people, it's, uh, it's the jazz of it. I think a lot of people enjoy like, I got a recipe, I got a rough idea, but I can mess with it because I know the inner workings. And that's like the fun part. And baking is like, you do not science. mess with that recipe yet. That is a science. You, exactly. you can't get creative because it'll turn out terrible. Exactly, exactly. Now, if you have, forgive me, but inevitably when you are a guest on a late night talk show, what is a story you'd love to tell? You know, I'll tell, I, I like to tell this one because um, I demand respect when I'm uh, on the stage giving you my all. And um, probably the most ridiculous five years of my life as a performer took place on cruise ships because let me tell you what, baby, that is a world on its own. And I've got two funny cruise ship stories, both kind of short, but one I always love to tell because we used to do this show on the cruise ship and we would finish the show and run out into the audience and then go to the back of the theater and just sit there and wait for the show to end. They'd come outside and we'd sign posters for them and we'd shake hands and we'd say hi to everybody. We're doing the show. We run out into the audience. We're standing in the back and we're waiting for people. And we're standing back there and we see somebody run full steam out of the theater stop in front of us and then just vomit everywhere all over the floor right in front of us like when i tell you it looked like the fucking exorcist i couldn't and i was like oh my god ma'am are you okay and like we were like oh let's get turned to the nurse or whatever and then the second person came running out of the theater vomit all over the place third fourth fifth running vomiting it literally looked like the zombie apocalypse we were cowered in the corner in our suits just watching people run and blah, all over the elevator, all over the walls. There was a GI spread that night and it got in the food and everybody was vomiting and shitting their brains out all over, all over the ship. And then they were like, okay, everybody sign these posters and shake these people's hands. We were like, fuck no, I'm out of here, bro. This is the zombie apocalypse. So, um, that's one of mine. And then my second one was respect on the stage. I have never in my life seen a cruise ship performance. Like, like the audience on a cruise ship is one of a kind. Like probably have never seen a, a live thing in their life aside from the thing that was on their television. And there were so many instances that in the middle of the show, I would have to break character and go out in the audience and embarrass somebody for being so embarrassing in the audience. So like probably my three best ones was a drunk crowd that I stood in front of and made the whole audience boo them until they left the theater. So it was like a universal boo as they all got up and left the theater. Uh, one woman was playing on her iPad Candy Crush and I stood in front of her and made her play the game until she finished the level. And I said, I wouldn't continue the show until she finished her Candy Crush level. But my clutch is a woman crocheting a full scarf in the front row of the theater, like the front row fully crocheting needles, two different types of thread. And I just kept saying, how's my scarf coming along? And then by the end, she actually did give me the scarf at the end of the show and the audience went crazy. So um, the cruise ship audiences and the passengers 
Yeah. That's the show. Well, I'm not the show, baby. That's the show. Yeah, the entertainment goes both ways on those cruise ships. That is amazing. Yeah, because I feel like cruise ships audience are especially the audience that don't understand that you can see them and you can interact with them. <laughs> it's like everyone you just described were people that are like, I crochet in front of the television. I play on my phone in front of the What's going on? And you're like, no, I'm a person who can actually reach out and, and, and touch your shoulder. Because yeah. the look on their faces when I did come off the stage and was speaking directly to them, it was pure fear. It's like they were like, wait, what? this isn't supposed to be happening. You're on the stage. And I was like, no, baby, now you're on the stage. Let's go. Now you're the show. Where's my uh, scarf, bitch? Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God, the vomiting thing though. I love that they still wanted you to interact with these people as if they didn't care you guys would get sick, obviously. As if the whole hallway wasn't covered in vomit. I said, who's going to stop and sign anything right now? This whole hallway smells like puke. We got a slip and slide happening here. Like, let's really? just get home. Oh my God. Like that the moral is... of the story, my, my legs are on the land, no longer on the sea these days anymore, baby. Yeah. Joe, thanks so much for chatting with me. This has been awesome. Oh my awesome. God, of course. You're the damn best. Just oh, love you so much. I love thanks you for too. having me. Thanks As for wearing this damn tank top today, looking like a snack on this damn Zoom. <laughs> you know, I had to. Not, not because my apartment is so hot. Um, <laughs> what's, uh, what's coming down the pipeline? Anything the listeners should be keeping their eyes, ears peeled for? Yeah, working on a couple of live shows. I took a little break for the summer because it's too damn hot to do anything. So coming up this fall, I'll have a couple of new live shows coming through with my production company, Pink Face Productions. And um, you can catch me on Instagram. My social is at the Joe Conti, T-H-E-J-O-E-C-O-N-T-I. Um, yeah. That's great. Well, thanks again, listeners, for listening. I'm your host, Daniel Acker, and this has been Almost Almost Famous.